a spirit-empowered life. I'm not going to talk about the gifts of the spirit today. I'm going to uh, focus on that on the uh, uh, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is seven Sundays after Easter. So we're going to talk about Pentecost, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, gifts of the spirit, all that kind of thing, which is always powerful. Pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is always awesome. Um, but did you know you can have the gifts of the Spirit, you know, uh, prophesying and speaking tongues and healing the sick and uh, words of knowledge, all these gifts that the Bible outlines in a couple of different books in the New Testament. You can have those gifts operating in your life and still not be living a Spirit-empowered life. I find that fascinating. I find that really interesting that that can be the case. And uh, in your Bibles, there's uh, two letters that were written by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. They're called 1 and 2 Corinthians. They were written, they're letters that were written to a church in Corinth. Um, and Paul says to this Corinthian church in Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 to 7, he says this, For in him, talking to this church, this church in Corinth, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. They did not lack any of the gifts. All the gifts were operating in that congregation. Prophecies and words of knowledge and healings and uh, all the different manifestations of the Spirit uh, were happening in that church. But then Paul goes on to say... In uh, chapter 3, so two chapters later, in the same, to the same people, the same congregation, he says this, uh, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Wow! Isn't that interesting? You don't lack any spiritual gifts, but then he says, But I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. That staggers me. Because oftentimes we think, wow, when the gifts of the Spirit, when there's manifestation, when God's doing powerful things through a person, well, that's a sign of spirituality. That's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of of, uh, recognition, if you like, from God. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Those gifts are given by God. God works through people, through those gifts. But the sign of maturity, the sign of development, the sign that you are actually growing in your relationship with God is the fact that you are manifesting a Spirit-empowered life. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life. Now, does that mean we write off the the gifts and all that? No, no, they're... They're supernatural empowerment by the Holy Spirit. They're gifts from God to touch people's lives and speak words of encouragement and life, power, transformation of people's lives. But they are not a sign of maturity. They are a sign that God is at work. But, as Paul says here, even though the Corinthians were manifesting all these gifts, they were infants in Christ. They were not growing and maturing. I gave you milk, he said, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. What? You're still worldly. What? For since there are jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? 
What he's saying is, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's the transforming of a person's life where the old nature diminishes, the old nature begins to to die down and the new nature of Christ, the fruits of the Spirit, which I'm going to look at a few of them in a minute here, begin to manifest in our lives, is the sign that God is at work, is the sign that we're growing, is the sign that we're progressing in our faith and becoming more available, more uh, um, in a position where God can use us to touch other people's lives. So, we won't go into everything that was going on in the church there, but True spirituality is not just determined by the gifts of the Spirit, but by the fruit of the Spirit. So, did you know that you're a model? Did you know you're a model? I just want to show you a short clip before I begin to uh, expound on this from the Scriptures. Have we got that clip? People come up to me all the time and say, you should be a model, or you look just like a model, or maybe you should try to be a man who models and I always have to laugh because I'm so good looking of course I'm a model I guess my uh, best known look is Ferrari that would be the look that I really uh, made my bread and butter on could you do that for us? sure I guess I'm also known for Blue Steel can we see that one? Blue Steel? yeah Ferrari is a much more aggressive look Blue Steel I, I really save for softer catalog work shoes i am always working on new looks if i have a day off i will spend four to eight hours in front of the mirror trying a tilt of a head or a, a furrow i mean a lot of people think the eyes are what it's all about i find it's the forehead when i'm doing a shoot i'm hot i'm heaven i'm sexy i'm coy i'm nasty a little bit <laughs> who's seen zoolander put your hand up isn't that a great movie but i want to declare to you today you're a model <laughs> You're a, <laughs> yeah, you're a model, maybe not of clothing necessarily. Some of you may be. I get offered all the time, but you know, so I just say, look, I'm a full-time pastor. I haven't got time for modeling. <laughs> but not a model of clothing necessarily. But listen to this. In Colossians 3.12, it says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You are a model. God is saying these are the clothes that you are modeling. These are the things that you are walking in. These are the things that you are dressing yourself in. These are the things that portray the life of Christ in our lives. You're a model. Next time someone says to you, what do you do for, for work? You say, I'm a model. <laughs> I want to I look at this scripture here this morning. It says, clothe yourself. As a Christ follower, there is, an ex, there is an expectation from the scriptures that we will be exhibiting certain attitudes and behaviors. Now, these are not necessarily natural. They're not Some people may exhibit some of these in a form just by personality or whatever, but that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about personality. It's talking about our nature. It's talking about our character. It's talking about our, our inward life being demonstrated out as we live our lives. Just as our clothing expresses our values and our attitudes and the, uh, the way we dress or whatever, so our initiatives, our responses, our behavior 
are demonstrations of our inward belief system, our values, the things that we believe in and what God is doing in our life. Does that make sense to you? Clothe yourself. These do not come naturally. They are not common to the old nature. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You have to, as Paul says in the scripture, these are things when you're filled with God's spirit, when you have the nature of Christ in you, you, Paul says, clothe yourself. He doesn't say, hey, God's going to put all these things on you. God's going to make you patient. God's going to make you kind. God's going to give you humility. He doesn't say that. He goes, no, these are the attributes of Christ that reside within you because Christ is in you. You must put these on. You must clothe yourself. You can choose to clothe yourself in humility or you can choose to clothe yourself in pride. You can choose to clothe yourself in compassion. You can choose to clothe yourself in indifference. These are the choices that we make. Now what Christ does is make these choices available. Before we have the nature of Christ, we only have one nature. We've only got one response. We don't have the power to go, you know what, I'm going to do this differently. Christ sets us free to choose. To choose. These things do not just pour out over our lives. Certain areas may change, but then God will challenge you. How does he challenge you to clothe yourself or to put these on? Challenges. Relationships. Work. He'll he'll create a scenario in your life where you get to the place where somebody will take uh, all the credit for something you did at work. And you've got an opportunity then to go, hey, what the heck? That was me, 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 me. I did all that. And God will say, hey, I want you to choose. You're going to choose humility? You're going to choose pride? You're going to blow your own trumpet? Or you're going to allow me to promote you? You're going to allow me to lift you up? Uh, We choose to walk in them. And every one of us will have opportunities probably every week to clothe ourselves in one of these kind of fruits of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. These are, these are attributes that come from God. This is the nature of God. And we can live in this place. Do we do that all the time? No, we don't because we're not perfect. But maturity is demonstrated as these attributes become a more, uh, a more evident part of our life. Now, some of them we will struggle with more than others. Some of us may, we're just uh, more analytical or whatever, we're more objective. Compassion is not something that comes naturally to us and that's something we've got to work on. Humility. Some of us may, because of the talents, gifts and abilities, you're a bit more like Eric Zoolander. (laughs) Um, Of course I'm a male model. I'm so good looking. <laughs> um, he, uh, some of them you'll you'll you'll, you'll uh, find some of them easy, and some of them will be challenging. Uh, and the ones that we find challenging are the areas that we need to develop, and we need to learn to clothe ourselves in them. And God will give you plenty of opportunities. And uh, every time those opportunities come, and we fail, or you don't fail, you just get the opportunity to sit that test all over again. <laughs> Oh, you didn't choose that? All right, let me give you another opportunity. Let's bring someone else along. (laughs) Patience. 
You're not dealing with patience? Okay, I'll give you another opportunity to have patience. Not working? I'll give you this opportunity to have patience. It's much, much easier if we get it quickly. Because <laughs> God is more interested in our development. He's more interested in Christ's character being developed in our lives so that when, then we can live the kind of life he's called us to live. Because when, when the old nature is dominant in our thinking and in our lifestyle and the way we live, then we are limiting ourselves to what God can do in us, what he does through us, and the influence that we have for people. So... Uh, you choose to draw on the nature of Christ. You choose. You make a decision. No, I'm not going to respond that way. I am going to respond this way. You have the power to do that. You say, oh, no, it's just not in me. It is in you. If Christ is in you, then compassion is in you. If Christ is in you, kindness is in you. If, if Christ is in you, humility is in you. If gentleness, if, if uh, gentleness, yes, as well. <laughs> You say, I'm just not a patient person. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Patience is in you. You're just not using it. Because <laughs> if Christ is in you, you have patience. You've got to clothe yourself in it. You've got to choose to walk in it. You've got to allow that to develop in your life. So we're just going to unfold these a little bit as we go. Is this helping anybody? Compassion, let's look at it. Clothe yourself with compassion. Compassion, the definition of compassion, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. That's the difference between sympathy and compassion. Compassion is a visceral word. It has to do with something that we feel in our gut. It's not an objective word. It's a subjective word. It's not, it's not a clinical sort of thing. Oh, compassion. Compassion is not strategic. It's not like, oh, let me just work out if I'll do that. I, I don't know if I'll do that. Let me, let me put together a compassion strategy. <laughs> it's not strategic. It's a gut-level response to the things that we see. That's what compassion is. The Bible says that Jesus was moved by compassion. He didn't stand down and go, okay, I'm going I'm to demonstrate some compassion today. Let me look for an opportunity. No, it said just as he was living life, as opportunities came before him, as God highlighted certain people, certain scenarios, it says he was moved by compassion. The Holy Spirit stirred up something within him and he went with it. That's the same way God doesn't mean we're going to be able to solve every single problem and every single thing that comes along, but there'll be certain things that we can be a solution for. And as God highlights those things, then we choose. And, and it comes out of that gut uh, response. Uh, I love this quote as I was preparing this message. Pity weeps and walks away. Compassion comes to help and stay. We don't pity people. We don't pity people. We give people dignity. We give people value. We give people respect. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter how much money they've got. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter their ethnicity. Everybody is made in the image of God. They have dignity. They have value. They have worth. We do not pity anybody, but we have compassion for those who through life and circumstances have worked against them, that they've ended up in a certain scenario, in a certain place, and we have compassion and a desire to see those circumstances alleviated so that everybody gets an equal shot 
at living their best life in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus said this. Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry. This is Jesus. He was even aware that they might be hungry because they hadn't eaten for three days because they'd been following him around the Judean countryside. I say, Jesus, why don't you just stand still? It might be such a problem. Mate, he needed, he needed, he needed a, uh, an EA or something. <laughs> he needed a project manager. Jesus, stop moving. Um, a food truck. Um, yeah, Mr. Whippy was following him around. <laughs> Made a fortune. <laughs> Jesus had compassion on hungry people. He had compassion. Now, this is the way Jesus works. Jesus had compassion on people, and then he said to the disciples, you do something about it. He said, I have compassion. You do something about it. Now, this is what the disciples came up with, which is normally the same responses that we have. He says, let's help them. You do something about it. And then they say, we've got no way. We've got no way of helping them. Where it's too remote. Jesus was challenging their perception of God, what God is able to do. We're out in a remote area, there's no resources, so we can't help them. Jesus is going, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, minimise God's ability to do something. Um, he said, I want you to do something about it. He challenged their involvement. So we can pray, God, help this person. God, help that person. God, and prayer is important. Prayer is vital. God moves through prayer. But if prayer is all we're doing, as the book of James says, you can keep your prayers. That's my interpretation of what he was saying. <laughs> no point just praying for people saying, go off, be healthy, be, be well, God bless you, and not respond in some way. Now, as I said, it doesn't mean that we can solve every problem. If you even look at the life of Jesus, Jesus didn't heal every person. He didn't touch every person. He didn't speak to every person. But he spoke to those as he went along that obviously God highlighted in his life that, that brought him along in different circumstances and he moved in those situations. So God is asking us to respond when he highlights a need, a circumstance, a situation. Compassion comes into our heart and then he goes, what are you going to do about it? Oh, I've got no resources. God goes, that doesn't count we put ourselves in this scenario, I'll, I'll supply the resources. I want your involvement and I want you to say yes. And if you say yes, I will, I will work it out. But I need you to get on board and be a part of what I want to do. That's what God asks us to do. He had compassion. Uh, Jesus was challenging God's concern for people. He's going, hey, they're hungry. So? <laughs> Tell them to go off and find some food somewhere, they, the disciples said. We don't want to be involved. We don't want it to affect, oh, no, I'm too busy for this. Send them away. Tell them to solve their own problems. He goes, no, I want you to be part of the catalyst of transformation to show that God cares and is concerned about their everyday needs. Uh, so, and if you know the story in the Bible, pretty much... Uh, 
they brought what they had, which is just a few loaves of bread and fish, and Jesus multiplied it and fed everybody. And God will do the same thing. What he's after is our response. He's after our heart to go, you know what, I'm in. I want to be part of the solution. I want to be part of the answer. I don't have a lot to give at this point. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of... But what I do have, I will give to you. And as we do that, he multiplies it. And we become the answer to the world as Christ in the world today. The opposite of compassion is not hatred. The opposite of compassion is not dislike. The opposite of compassion is indifference. Where we just don't see people in need. We're just ambivalent to what's going on. It's just, we don't see it. We don't notice it. And uh, I won't talk about it today, but there's a parable in the Bible where Jesus deals with it. You can look it up yourself. It's uh, Lazarus and the rich man. And if you know the parable, uh, the rich man didn't do anything wrong. If you read the story, he didn't beat Lazarus, the poor man. He didn't he didn't insult him. He didn't do anything. The story is that he was indifferent to his suffering. He sat at his door and the rich man didn't even see him, didn't even notice him, didn't even see the need. And they both go to heaven and God goes, no, 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 no. You've had your reward. You didn't even see the needs of other people. So God is, God's, God is not, uh, uh, God is not um, turned on by by our indifference. Indifference is not an excuse. Kindness. <clears throat> Kindness is another um, attribute. Um, and there's different, there's different uh, interpretations of this word. Uh, it does mean kindness like we said, but another, another interpretation of the word in the original, what I was reading, is that it means trusted, relied upon. So someone who's kind, someone, as we think of the word kind, but other versions of it talk about someone who is trusted, who is reliable, who is reliable, someone who is true, clothed with kindness, care, concern about people. Um, kindness is when you say you're going to do something and you do it. That's kindness. I am going to do this and you don't do it. That word is saying that is not that you didn't do it. That is unkind to make a promise and not fulfill it. God gives us the ability to make promises and then fulfill them. Uh, integ integrity. Um, so, some people have a reputation of saying stuff and people go, oh, they say a lot of things but they don't do a lot. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be us as a church where we make a lot of promises and we, we, we say a lot of things and people go, oh, you know... They say that, but they don't do it. Um, that's not kind. Uh, humility. Uh, you know, when we see pride, we're instinctively turned off by it. And part of the whole you know, humour behind Zoolander is that his pride is so outrageous and so evident so, uh, that we laugh at it. Like, of course I'm a man, Martin. I'm so good looking. I mean, you just think, <laughs> but it's, a, it's an exaggeration of a truth. That's what humour is, that we all relate to it because we all see that in our own lives to a degree. Um, <clears throat> humility is, the, is, there's something attractive about it, isn't it? In fact, most of the movies that you see, 
you know, it's the hero that comes in and saves the day and then wanders off without the recognition. There's something attractive. We think, oh, that is amazing, die hard or whatever. You know, they just wander off and uh, before the accolades come or before everyone can go, oh, you're amazing. They're like, oh, I don't need any of that. I didn't do it for that. I just did it. And everyone goes, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, humility. I'll give you a couple, a couple of uh, examples of humility uh, that I was thinking of and we're and I haven't got all the scriptures for this, but uh, <clears throat> the ability to say sorry even when you are in the right takes humility. Where relationship is more important than being proven to be correct. Uh, where we don't need to boast of our achievements all the time. You know, sometimes we're, we're feeling insecure or we're our sense of self-value is so low that we have to continually tell people all the good things that we've done and what we're achieving and what's happening. Now, I'm not saying you should never say that in a conversation. You know, it's interesting as well. But if we need to continually tell people what we're doing and how important we are, then there's something missing on the inside. And if we work on that, then we can still say those things, but they're not coming from the same place. It's not like I need approval, I, I, I need recognition. All those things are good and important. They all have a place. I'm not saying we shouldn't have any of that. Recognising, encouraging um, and, and uh, highlighting great achievements and things people are doing, it, it is all important. It, it is all great. Uh, but sometimes, and you know, this may be resonating with some people here, you, you feel that you've constantly got to prove your worth and your value. Um, it would be better to work on understanding who you are in Christ and what Christ is and, and your value before God to build a solid foundation so that whether those things come or, or don't come, it's not going to affect your own sense of purpose and value and direction. Do you stay motivated even when those things don't come? And I've shared different stories at different times with myself, but they're all lessons that God creates to help us develop in these areas. With the willingness to mix and associate with all types of people when we value people, it doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done. You know, you see people, you know, you're at gatherings and, um, you know, you're in workplaces or whatever or social settings sometimes and, you know, you'll be talking to somebody and you can pick the, 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 uh, the people who are trying to work their way up. So you'll be talking to someone and, and you see them looking around while they're talking to you to see if, who's the next person that they can talk to someone who's maybe more important or closer to the top or something than you. Have you. Anyone ever experienced that? Where you're talking to someone and you go, these guys are not even listening. And they're like, I want to talk to that person over there. I'm waiting until that conversation finishes with the CEO or the CFO or whatever because I, I want to get in with them. Um, we, don't need to, we don't need to do that. That doesn't mean that you don't have conversations with people who are confident in who you are. Um, but the Bible says this, Philippians 2, 3 to 4. This is talking about trusting in God and not feeling like we've got to generate all our own success and our own uh, advancement. Don't push your way to the front. This is the message translation. I love this. Don't push your way to the front. Get it out of my way. <laughs> Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself. What? 
Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Why is that important? Because when we're able to live that way, what we're saying is, God, I trust you that my purpose, my calling, and, the f- and my reason for being here in the planet is in your hands. It's not in the hands of all these other influential people, even though they've got influence and they can play a part. I trust in God. I don't need to be seen. I don't need to get my resume out in front of... I mean, if, yes, you do. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you do need to do some of this stuff, but sometimes we're so obsessed and think, oh, if I don't get that there, then that's not going to happen. And we're pushing our way to the top and we're crawling over the top of people and using people's heads to get to the next level. <laughs> and the Bible says you don't need to do all that. You can be humble. You can help other people. You can lift other people up. You can help them get ahead. And if you do that, I will elevate you. I will expose you. I will put you in a place where what you are doing will be seen. Trust me. Put your hope in me. Help other people and I will work it out. Now that takes great faith. Particularly when you know, you're know you wanting to advance, you've got ambition. And that, that's all cool and that's all good. That's not ungodly to want to do great things and to achieve great things. It's all fantastic. But if in the process of achieving that, we are willing to walk over the top and devalue people, then God says, no, 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 that's not the way. There's a better way. There is a better way. Humility. Gentleness. Uh, won't worry about that. I don't have enough of it. Meekness. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've got nothing to say on gentleness. <laughs> um, I just ran out, of, I ran out of time. I'm going to finish up. I just haven't got time to go through all these. But uh, meekness. I love the word meekness because we hear meekness oftentimes, and it is in the Bible, the meek shall inherit the earth. We hear meekness and we think weakness. We correlate the two. Being meek means being weak. Being meek means being a doormat. Being meek means people walk over the top of you and you say, come and walk over me again. Um, But that's not what the Bible talks about. Uh, Sometimes we think meekness is someone who just speaks softly or they're they're shy or retiring or standing in the corner. We think, oh, that person's meek. That's not what the Bible talks about. When the Bible talks about meekness, it's it's talking about... uh, having a gentleness or being meek because you've got a true understanding of yourself and others. You do not need to elevate yourself to prove anything. It's someone that has a a total dependence and reliance upon God. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're somehow retiring. It just means that you are um, trusting in God in each and every area. That's why the meek shall inherit the earth because faith inherits the promises of God. So being meek doesn't mean being weak. Being meek does not mean being quiet. Being meek just means being confident in God and what he promises he will do in our lives. So we don't need to do certain things. We don't need to scream and shout to get our own way. We don't need to demand our rights and our privileges. We don't need to run around protecting our reputation. Uh, We don't need to worry about what people think of me or what people are saying about me Um, because we've got to trust in God. That's meekness. That's what he's talking about. That's what God's talking about, a meekness, 
a meek person is actually a strong person. A meek person is someone who has confidence, quiet assurance about who they are, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. Now, that doesn't come naturally because we are all broken and we are all naturally insecure. That's the human condition. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to repair and, and restore and heal those areas of our broken heart and bring in the nature of Christ so that we can live in a way that is, that is different to the way the world works. So that when people go, what? How did you get there? Or how did you do that? And you go, well, I just trusted God. But you didn't, you didn't like walk over the top of people. You actually, you actually promoted other people. Or you said, uh, you know what? That person did that job. You go, that was me. It was me. It was me. That person did it and give credit where credit's due and lift other people up and, and that is uncommon. That stands out because it's not natural. It is the nature of Christ at work in our life. And then patience, we'll finish with this. It, it includes endurance, steadfastness, forbearance. Patience is not a passive word. It's an active word. Pay, active patience, a, 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 a waiting that is on the front foot. Is the Bible type of patience that it's talking about. Um, verse 13. I don't know what chapter because I've just written down verse 13, but you can look it up. <laughs> In fact, I should ask, where does this verse come out? No, Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Over all these virtues, oh, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Oh, it's Colossians. Oh, no, that's a different verse. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may. Just let it go. Let it go. And if you're finding it difficult, ask God to help you to let it go. Life is too short to hold on to grievances, hold on to... Uh, regrets, to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to uh, things that people have done. Life's too short. That will hold you back. Let it go. Trust God. Let him bring healing. Let him open up what he has for you and take a hold of your future with both hands. Don't have one hand holding on to the past and trying to hold on to the future. Let it go. Forgive. Just as Jesus forgave us and take hold of your future with both hands. Let God touch you, heal you, open you up. Let his nature come upon you as you clothe yourself in it and you'll be amazed at what God does in and through you as you live your best life in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you.